Hey folks, Sam Jones here. Welcome to another edition of Off Camera, the show where I get to talk to iconic, creative, curious artists and find out how they got that way. And before I introduce this week's guest, I want to read a letter because I get a fair amount of letters here at Off Camera and I love hearing from everyone who's listening to the show, their opinions about it, guest suggestions. And although sitting here on this show and talking to the most iconic artists of our time does give me a unique position, I do not pretend to have any expert advice for anybody. But occasionally a letter moves me like this one. And so I just want to share it with you. And it starts like this. Hey, Sam, my name is Jack, and I'm currently a freshman in college. I love your show and I listen to it constantly. Thank you, Jack. Since high school, I've had a deep interest and admiration for theater, film, and television, specifically as it relates to acting and writing. Though I'm now at college, I find myself constantly bored by schoolwork that feels meaningless and unfulfilling. Conversely, I have a desire to reinvest my time in acting and writing, in which I have some experience. Do you have any advice from your own journey or from people you've had on your show about whether or not someone in my situation should continue with school or drop out to pursue an alternative career? One that is harder to achieve, but could be more fulfilling than what they are currently doing? I'm struggling to find the answer. Well, Jack, you're asking a question that probably a lot of people in their freshman year of college ask themselves, which is, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? And is what I'm doing right now the path I'm supposed to be taking? And I don't think there are any easy answers to this. I went through this same thing when I was in college. It was summertime. I had completed two years of college. I was in a band. The band had an opportunity to go play some gigs on the road. At the time, I thought I should just drop out of college because this is what I'm going to be doing with my life. And I still don't know to this day what that road would have looked like. I know that the road I took led me here and that that has all worked out for me. But anytime we come to a fork in the road like that, we have to make a decision. We have to go one way or the other. But I will say one of the constants on this show in everybody I talk to seems to be that there was this unwavering gut feeling that they should keep on pushing and pushing and working towards the thing they love, no matter what the outcome, no matter how hard it was, and no matter what kind of life or success it brought them. I would say the bravest thing about the artists that come on this show is that they were all in. They did not have a backup plan for the most part, and they were just going to go after their dream. And I guess the hardest thing about that is there's no way to understand what that feels like unless you have it. So, I mean, on one hand, I would tell you stay in school because if you were sure, you'd already be gone. But on the other hand, I would say only you know the answer to this question. And it is why these early 20s years are so fraught with anxiety and peril because we're trying to figure out what it is we're supposed to do with our lives. We're trying to find meaning. We're trying to know ourselves. And let's be honest, the world is a big, bad, scary place. So I don't know if I have an answer for you, Jack, but I will say I feel your pain. I know the conundrum you're in. And I guess I'll leave you with this. Whatever you are doing right now, whatever you decide to do, work as hard as you can. Be all in. Because I think only good things can come from that approach. And I hope you find your path, and I would love to hear about it. And I just wanted to share your letter with everybody because I think it's something we all face and we all have faced. So good luck, Jack. And now we're going to go back to the show. So as I was saying, on this show, I get to talk to iconic, creative, curious artists and find out how they got that way. Well, in this episode, I sit down with actor and motorcycle enthusiast Norman Reedus. Over the last 10 years, Norman Reedus has been kicking zombie butt and endearing himself to audiences around the world in the massively successful AMC series, The Walking Dead. 10 years is a long time for someone who grew up with a serious case of wanderlust and a day-to-day philosophy about life, but Norman wouldn't have it any other way. As he tells it, I am so invested in The Walking Dead that I can't imagine leaving on my own. I want to bookend it. I want to see it to its conclusion. Norman came to acting relatively late, but he traces his desire to be an artist all the way back to childhood, when art supplies were his go-to presents for birthdays and Christmas. Along the way, he's tried just about every artistic medium, from painting to photography to modeling, and even being a muse for music video directors. It wasn't until he discovered a rich, creative, and artistic community in downtown L.A. that he found his way to acting. And as someone with a self-described chip on his shoulder, it wasn't even something he took seriously until he understood the personal and emotional stakes of committing to a role. 
Prior to becoming a fan favorite in The Walking Dead, Norman spent the majority of his acting career in film, most notably in The Boondock Saints. He's followed a long, meandering path to reach this point, but now that he has, the road has opened up for him, quite literally. These days, in addition to The Walking Dead, he's filming his motorcycle travel adventure show, Ride with Norman Reedus, now in its third season on AMC. Norman joins off-camera to talk about why being on a motorcycle is a singular experience, something I know a little about, and to talk about the moment he discovered the power of acting and why flinging dead squirrels is more nuanced than you think. So pull up a chair and listen in. Hi, Norman. Hi, Sam. Thanks for doing this. <laughs> Thanks for having me, man. Yeah. Well, you know, I, uh, I have to tell you, I think I have a pretty good gig here. I get to sit in my studio and have artists I admire come in and I get to talk to them. But you get to take artists you admire and talk to them on motorcycles. Yeah. And, and I, that is a way cooler job. Um, oh, yeah. it's and, fun. And yeah. what I'm referring to is your show, Ride, right. which came about kind of through the success of The Walking Dead. But can you tell me sort of the impetus of that show? And Well, I, you know, I think several people are trying to take credit for it now. But <laughs> in the beginning, you know, I always ride a motorcycle to work in Georgia. And I have a house out in the woods, which I, I found this place. Uh, John Bernthal, who used to be on this show, yeah. he lived way out there. And he had two big pit bulls and he couldn't find anybody that would rent him a house. So he ended up finding this sort of oasis out in the middle of nowhere. Um, But I would always ride my bike to his house. And from there, I I ride to work every day on a motorcycle pretty much. And and one of the execs at AMC said, you know, we see you ride a motorcycle every day to work. I kind of have this idea for a show. And I... I was already a big fan of Anthony Bourdain and sure. Long Way Round that Ewan did and all that stuff. And uh, and he told me, I, I, I don't think he even got the entire pitch out of his mouth before I was like, I was like yes. You know? And it's been a blast. It's, uh, it's, it, it's nice. It, you, know, you know, you ride motorcycles. It's, it's a different element. You, when you go through a town, you smell the town. You feel the town. It's, it's a, a very freeing... Uh, way to travel and and when you get a guest on that show they automatically lighten up right because it's open and you're it's an adventure and and it's it's really fun yeah yeah well when you first started doing it was there any idea what the show would turn into i mean i don't even know that we thought that we knew what what it was going to be in the beginning it was kind of more a gearhead show and uh and you know, we had a different showrunner back then, and we were just sort of putting it all together, and and it, it felt very stale the first season to me. It was fun, like the guests were fun and the locations were fun, but it, you know, it, it's it's hard sometimes when someone Google's what bikers do in this area, and you try to find these things, and it you know you know it's such an adventure show that. It's nice to meet people, and they're going, you're going to that? No, 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 forget that. You should go right here and just go down there, and you'll meet this guy named Hank, and Hank's going to show you something else. And as the show progressed, we started doing that more. And, you know, it became a thing where we'd we'd pull into a a city or a town or something, and and all these people would show up and be like, hi, you know, and we sort of didn't incorporate them in the show in the beginning and then we slowly made that part of the show and it's more it's more a guy on his horse traveling cross country and meeting people and there's an adventure to it so um it morphed into something that i'm i'm very proud of at the moment like this season yeah. three is great well it seems like there's as the show has gone along it's become more of a philosophy or more of a lifestyle yeah rather than it being so centric about motorcycles. In fact, yeah. there's one episode uh, where you, you don't even ride bikes. And, and it yeah. seems like it's become more about your particular desire to live life as a, cer- a, as a certain moral code or philosophical code or something of, of how you want to live. Yeah, it's, it's more of an adventure show now. You know, um, like Long Way, long way Round. Um, sure, the Ewan McGregor and Charlie Borman correct, series yeah. where they went around the world on motorcycles. Yeah, I mean, my favorite parts of that show is when they're stuck in the mud. You know, or something breaks down. I mean, it's it's a real adventure. You know, the when we first started, you know, AMC's like, so you know, we're picking people, and they're like, who do you want to do your hair and makeup? And I'm like, I don't want hair and makeup at all. <laughs> right. I was like, I was like, no fucking way. Like, I want to take off my helmet and have helmet hair. I want to be filthy. I want to, you know, I, I want the audience to feel like they're with us. You know, um, 
and it's it's become that it's you know it's funny like some of the guests you know like we had Peter Fonda on and and he would be like look at all these people trapped in their cages on the freeway they don't know you know and it's it's that's the show the show is let's 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 go on an adventure you know yeah so it's cool how do you sort of fight that you know that because it seems like there's there's two opposing forces one is you have to make a tv show right so there has to be people there that that aren't on that adventure so how do you like maintain the quality control of this this still checks the box that that it's an adventure and it's not just not just sort of creating a, a show of an adventure but it really is i go rogue a little bit like, you do yeah um like we were in spain and you know, they wanted shots of, you know, the, the architecture as, you know, we're going around this, these blocks like over and over again. And then I see these two kids over in an alley and, and we were trying to buy fireworks for the, you know, the finale shot. I remember that, yeah. Yeah, with Jeff and I. I see these two little kids playing soccer over there in an alley and I just kind of went, whoop. And they have to follow me. And so <laughs> the camera trucks are all following me over here and I got off the bike and I was talking to these kids playing soccer with them and I'm like, where do I buy fireworks? And I'm like, come here, quick. We sneak down this other alley and we jump into this place and we buy these fireworks. And those moments are how we, we keep it rogue and we keep it fresh and, and not so much a TV show. You do have to do your promos. You know? they, they, they prefer celebrity guests to at least one an episode so that, you know, this week, so on Marilyn Manson's on the thing. You know? right. That's where it becomes a little TV showy. Uh, but I, I got to say most, not most, but a lot of the guests that aren't celebrities are, are the most inter- interesting. And a lot of times you meet, you know, you'll ask an actor, a rock star or something, you want to be on the show? Yeah, I ride, and I got a so-and-so bike, and it's, it's this, it's so-and-so built it. And you're like, oh, great. And then, you know, they call you like a week later, and they're like, wait, so how many hours are we actually on the bike? And do you get on the freeway? It, like, how does that work? Is it, it's, you know, and I'm, I'm just like, oh, God, here we go. Um, or they'll say, oh, yeah, I have a bike, but it's, you know, it's been in the garage for three years, I mean, you know, so you're not really a rider. So, I mean, the episode I think that you're talking about where we're not on a bike, is that with Melissa? Yes. Yeah, that one, um, that one, that one happened really organically because we were shooting, not the season that's airing now of Walking Dead, but the season before, the very last sh- setup of, of the season, Melissa and I are sitting on this cliff and we're kind of looking out over all this stuff and uh, they're setting up behind us. And I was like, you know what? You should get your motorcycle license and be on ride with me. And she's like, yeah, maybe I'll do it. And then I was like, well, what's, what's, if you had a dream location, where would it be? And she goes, you know, I have family that, that's buried up in Scotland on this mountain. And I'd really like to learn about that part, you know, that part of my family. So we did it. We went to Scotland to found her, her location and she got her license. But we got there and Greg Smears, who's our our safety stunt guy who's like world famous he's tom cruise's dude he's, right we get there and it's so cold and it's so windy that he's like there's no way you're riding a motorcycle like and we're there you know and and she's a novice rider at this point yeah. she's just gotten her license. i mean he's he's sideways you know like it was windy as fuck and and we're like okay what are we gonna do so we just we got this cool jeep and we did it that way and it was still ride it was still fun it was still traveling through the thing and and um, but, you know, sometimes things happen. You sure, know, you sure. Know, weather or whatever. Well, what do we not see when we watch the show in terms of, like, I was just curious what the circus looks like outside of what the camera's seeing. You know, it's, um, you know, we have, we have a, one, of our, one of our DPs on the show, this dude Shady, David Perez, he's a, f- a friend of mine from New York. And That's I what you him. want your DP's name to be, Shady. Shady. I mean, he's like, he did like, you know, all the, you know, like Cypress Hill videos where they're all walking funny, he had them all walking backwards and stuff. Right, like, right. He's an old, I remember that. Old director and a, a, an old New Yorker, but he, uh, <laughs> there was one time we had a, this girl Imogen from California on and we're going up PCH and Greg is, Greg's on his bike and he's over on the, the side of the road, you know, you know, between the lanes and the dirt and, and he's, he's flying down there, you know, cutting between us and riding on this and Shady's has a belt around his waist and he's hanging over backwards on the bike and we're doing like 80 and he's filming with the camera like this like filming us and Greg's bike's shooting rocks like that are just my shins are bleeding 
and I'm just ow, 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 and I'm trying, you know, we're trying to get the whole shot, and Imogen's over there, and she's laying on her motorcycle with her legs in the air, and <laughs> Shady's like, you know, literally on this much road, and just hanging off a bike, like 80 miles an hour, like sometimes we get nuts. Um, but you know, I mean, so so a lot of them, be safe. A lot of the footage is bike to bike. Though. Oh yeah, that's the, my favorite footage. We do do drones, and we shoot out the back of a van, and we do, you know, still still cameras, us flying by, stuff like that. But uh, some of the rogue sh- rogue shooting styles are the are the coolest. And, yeah, and, and have the best footage for sure. But I have to ask if there's been any mishaps after hearing that. Yeah, I mean. I've dropped my bike like, I don't know, 15 times probably, but it's only because I'm short and that Triumph, that Tiger sometimes will come in and they're, you know, I'm on my tippy toes, you know, and, and at one time we were in Hawaii and I had to pee really bad and I'm flying into this gas station and I literally jumped off the bike and kind of just dropped it and ran into the <laughs> bathroom. You see the Triumph rep like, no, you know, uh, but, and then Brent, Brent Hines, um, He's in this band called Mastodon. Yeah, we, we went through New Orleans, and uh, you know those those they have seed heaters on those on those tigers, and and it, you know New Orleans was like super hot, and I kept hitting his uh, turning on his seed heater, and so he like every day he was like, man, my ass is on fire, like, <laughs> and he I didn't know, know there was a he seed had no heater. idea, right? <laughs> and we pull up, uh, we're leaving the hotel like super early, like on the third day, I think, and. Um, and you know we're about to we're in an underpass. We're about to get on the freeway, and all the camera vans are like on the edge of the freeway, you know, waiting for us to show up. And he and I are stuck in our light under the thing. And and he's like, "Man, my ass is on fire!" And he looks over and he's like, he sees the little heater button. And he's like, "You motherfucker!" And he like he starts like trying to hit me. And I went, Wah! and I ran the light and I went up by the by the thing, by the vans. And I was waiting on him, and he comes in like hot, right? He comes in like right up next to me and just. Hits his kickstand. And he's like, yeah, and he falls over into me, and like dominoes, we both fall into the ditch. And I had this big gash on my leg, and it was a very, you know, three stooges moment that we caught on camera. No way. Yeah. Well, when I had Diane on here, your girlfriend, um, she mentioned that she had just gotten her license, and yeah. I'm assuming that the women in your life have to get motorcycle licenses. They have to, all right? Or it's all over. Um, She's funny. Diane was, uh, you know, because she's tiny. She's tiny, and I bought her a bike for her for her birthday. I got her a little little one hundred, uh, little old Honda, and uh, and you know she'll kill me for this. But she was uh, she was taking uh, her driver's license. I mean, in Georgia, they use you go you walk in, you smile, you write your name, and they give you a license. It, you know, they, they also give you a gun or whatever you want. It's <laughs> that place. But she was taking her her test and. The night before, she was like, "Should I wear these boots?" And they're literally like Chanel <laughs> snow boots. And I'm like, "I don't, I don't, you don't understand where you're going. Like, you're going to the Harley dealership in Sonoya. Like, I don't know the, if those boots are, are the right boot." But um, uh, she's great. Yeah, she she learned right away. She um she'd be zipping through the neighborhood and you know it, she's adorable. And is that still going on? Yeah, I mean, really, you know, yeah. Um, yeah, and we're you know we're about to head back to Georgia to do Walking Dead, and she keeps talking about it. She's excited to get back on. Yeah. Get back on and she bike. and I take road trips. You know, we'll go to like Nashville or something from Georgia. Well, okay, so let's go way back because I'm curious when you first discovered motorbikes and how you first fell in love with them. I had a I had a kid in our in my junior high named Toon, and Toon had a little YZ80. He Where was I, this? Uh, this was in uh, in Texas. Okay, and he uh, he. Uh, he taught me this trick. We'd sit in class and we'd blow these little spit bubbles and we could blow them in the air and catch them back in our mouth. And that was like, that's our, that was our bonding experience. But he had a little YZ80 and we would, we would take turns, all the kids riding this bike and, and, you know, zip through houses and run from cops and kill the motor and turn around and run the other way. And, you know, because they're loud bikes and going through little areas. Yeah. And, uh, and we became friends, and, and and that's my first motorcycle experience, and just fell in love with it. And we had a we had a a hill close to our house that uh, I bet all these kids that I could ride a wheelie down the hill, which was stupid. And and I pop the bike up, spin it up, boom, land on my knee. He throws me on the back. We run to his mom's. His mom takes me to the hospital. I get stitches, and then I gathered all the kids. We went back to the same hill, did the exact same thing, opened it up again. Went back to the same doctor who stitched me. I've got it stitched up again. But it was just like this, this free, you know, little 
hooligan thing to do. And uh, that, was, that was when I fell in love with bikes. It's very liberating to ride a motorcycle. It's, it's, it's your own personal freedom, you know. I have my best thoughts on a motorcycle. I, I, you know, I, I, it, it's, it's the way I unwind on the way to set and prepare, and it's my, my way to wash it all off on the way home. Like, it's, it's your own thing. There's an, an anonymous, anonymous feeling of being on a bike with a helmet, and you're not part of them. You're your own little thing. So I love all of it. Do you do this? Because I do this. I sometimes talk to myself out loud in my helmet. Oh, yeah. I sing songs. I do all of it. Yeah. Do you? Oh, yeah. I wonder if it's sort of a respite for, like, if you are the kind of person who's happy being around a ton of people, or, or is, your, is your more relaxed state to be alone, and, and if, is the motorcycle part of, part of that, like an escape in some ways? I prefer to be alone sometimes. I mean, I can turn it on when I need to turn it on, but I, I, I jump out of that real quick. I, I like to be by myself. Um, and that's, uh, yeah, I guess motorcycles are a part of that. Like, things become clear, and yeah, you start thinking about things. And I can leave when I want, you know what I mean? It's like, uh, you know, I've always been the type of guy that will go to a party and will sneak out the back door and leave. Oh, yeah, the French exit. French exit, right. Um, so it's, it's kind of like that. It's like I go when I want to go, and, you know, it's it's... There's, there's nothing on my back. I can just move, you know? I like that. You know, it's interesting. There, watching that Jeffrey Dean episode, I think the first one when you were in Spain, it gave me a sense of what the worldwide understanding or the, like, the, what a worldwide phenomenon The Walking Dead was. And I, yeah. I think when you live in the United States, oftentimes you don't realize the frenzy that happens in every territory where a show is you know, is aired or sold. And in some ways, I was like, God, this poor guy, he creates this show to get away from everything. And, and it ends up being almost like a publicity tour for The Walking Dead. You show up in a town and all of a sudden, especially when you have one of the other members, like whether it's Andrew Lincoln or Jeffrey Dean or whoever, another member from the show, it, does it ever feel like, oh my God, we've sort of accidentally created a Walking Dead publicity tour and now we have to escape it? You know? I feel like all of us at this point are a Walking Dead publicity tour everywhere we go. I mean, it, I, it, you know, I, I mean, crowds show up everywhere now. I mean, it, you know, especially, right, if there's two of us. But, you know, we had to incorporate that in Ride because it happens everywhere we go. Yeah, and, and it's like, because you have and it's the show. it's more fun. I actually enjoy it. You I mean, do. You know, I, we shoot that show out in the woods of Georgia, and we're away from Hollywood, and there's no agents, and there's... None of that stuff. Like, we're in the woods making our show. And it's nice sometimes to come out of it and be like, oh, people like it. You know, come out of the dark for a bit. So that part I'm not mad at. Um, and it, it, sometimes it becomes a little safety issue. I think the one you're talking about is in Spain, right? Yes. That one... I it mean, seemed like it got a little crazy. It was... There's probably 2,000 people in the street running at us while we're pulling out. They were jumping on the bike. They broke a mirror off my bike. Uh, they were like in my lap as we're trying to follow the the van away. Um, but it's it's you know it it, it it gets nuts sometimes. Like you you know we did, we were on a press junket right before that, and we were there. We were in Portugal, and it looked like Woodstock. I mean, there were people. The trees were full of people, way as far as you could see, like as far as you could see. It, it, that. It, I think it's something about being on television. I think television creates more than movies, way more. I think it. You're in. The, you're in their home. They're in their sweatpants. They feel like they know you. It's right. it's it's a different jam than movies. I you know, and you know I was hesitant about television in the beginning, but now I love it. I like the longevity of I don't you know it. It's not three months to, to go from here to here. You have years, and it's people see your face age. They see how your voice changes. They see how your posture changes, and you have this opportunity to kind of do things and drop these little seeds behind you, and then it turns into trees behind you, and you can do something subtle here, which will turn into a storyline down there, and it's, it's a very organic way to do stuff. It's, right. I really enjoy it. Well, okay, so let's... Let's backtrack to how you got there because um, you mentioned in the show that, and, and I know this from kind of looking at your life, but you were a painter, you were a fine artist, photographer, and you were pretty young when you first left and went to Europe. So when you were in high school, 
Did you know you wanted to be an actor? No. I just wanted to make artwork and have some, a bunch of cats and like live in some cool little house and be alone and make artwork. There, there was, uh, I'd, I'd always done artwork. Yeah, how did that start? Well, I think it's originally started when I was little because I have really bad eyes. Um, I used to wear like contacts and glasses and the whole thing. And um, I would draw, I would draw with light. And like if the light hits you this way, I would just, just do the shaded parts. I would leave, I'd leave the darkest parts of your face blank. And, you know, people would always give me art supplies for my birthday, my Christmas. And I just kept doing it. And then... I ended up dropping out of high school. You did? Yeah. What, then, what, how old were you? 17, something like that. And were you in high school? Were you, did you have a group of friends? Were you a leader? Were you well, a... I actually left home when I was 12. So I... You did? Yeah. We lived in an apartment complex that, uh, that one of my friend's mothers played tennis. And I would always go hang out at their apartment and... I mean, they were like shitty. We, we bounced from shitty apartment to shitty apartment. But the, uh, the mom always liked, she would always like, you know, buy me shoes or she would feed me or whatever. And I started hanging out with her and playing tennis with her. And I won some tournaments. I, I got good enough to like win some tournaments. So a, a tennis coach came to me and said, hey, I, I want to train you. I want to take you to these different places and travel with you. And I was like, well, you got to talk to my mom. And he showed up and took my mom aside and she was like you should do it and did he was, say like this kid has potential yeah that stuff and 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 I did it and I bounced around and so I bounced around from many different high schools so by the time I was a junior I didn't want to be here anyway and my mother had moved to Moto Okubo in Japan and which is the southern prefecture okay and she invited me to come move in and I left and that was back when my dad was still alive. And I remember him, him saying, go, go learn as much as you can learn. And I, and I was like, all right. And ended up in Japan and met a girl in Japan who was from New York. And then I ended up going to sieges, like on a whim. In Spain. Yeah. And the girl that I had met before came to visit me and she was like, what are you doing here? And you know, there's paintings all over the floor and I'd go downstairs and there was, there was like a over cat population problem in Sitges at the time and I'd be out there you know painting with the cats and and every once in a while some little lady would come by a painting and I was just there and uh she was like do you want to move would you want to come to LA with me and I was like sure and okay wait so let, in LA. this is crazy yeah because I think we both lived there at the same time oh uh, yeah. s- uh 7th and Santa Fe I lived at 7th and Santa Fe I, I live at the, the, the lofts right there I was there in 1990. No, you were probably there before me. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. How did you know that we lived in the same building? I, I just read a thing. I didn't know that you lived in that building. I just yeah. read that you lived downtown. Yeah. Guy, it's crazy that you lived down there at that time and that yeah. we were in the same loft. Um, <laughs> it's really crazy. Yeah. In fact, I was so I broke was very back antisocial then. back then, so were you really? I wouldn't have said hello. Yeah. Did you know like Tarsem and Fatima and all those people? I didn't. There? You remember that video that's, that... Uh, Coolio video, slide, 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 yeah. slide. Yeah. Remember that that car that they had that they all popped out of the trunk? Yes, I do. So that it, there was no trunk in there, and there was a gas tank with two-by-fours. That was my car that I kept in that parking lot. You're kidding. Yeah, the set director gave me that car. So when you were down there, you, were you more, would you say you were more an artist and painting and trying sure. to? Yeah, absolutely. And that was your path. So, yeah. like, did you really worry about like your future or what you were going to be or anything? No, I, you know, I didn't for some reason. Um, sometimes the day-to-day thing, but I think I, just, I had an idea that everything's going to work itself out. Um, the acting thing, not really at all. I, had a, I used to work at this place called Dr. Carl's Hog Hospital, and it was on Venice Boulevard. And, you know, I, was, I basically did grunt work there. And, and I ended up in a fight with the guy who owned the place, because of a pit bull incident where the pit bull had chewed sideboards of a hot rod in the back and turned into a fight and and it just ended badly and a pit bull incident i guess yeah yeah you can't you can't live downtown work at a motorcycle shop and not have a few pit bull incidents he 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 gave me the loner bike a little honda rebel that i would drive from seventh and santa fe on the freeway you know in the rain with these little pink glasses like just racing to work because i didn't want to lose the job and uh and we ended up in an argument. A friend of mine took me to a party up in the Hollywood Hills. 
just to get drunk and get over it. And uh, I drank way too much, ended up on a, the second floor of this party and had borrowed someone's glasses and an arm was missing, these giant glasses, and started yelling at a bunch of people in the room. And it was, you know, I guess it was way over the top because I'd be like, oh, my secret identity. I was like doing this whole stupid thing. And uh, somebody came, this girl came up to me and said, hey, did you ever thought about being an actor? And I was like, leave me alone. And a friend of mine was like, who's that girl you're talking to? Which ended up us going to the, you remember Damiano's on Fairfax? Yeah. Pizza Place? Oh, yeah. It was right by Largo. Yeah, we ended up, and that street's completely different. Now it's all sneaker stores. But the, the, we ended up there, and then the director for a play came, and they asked me, uh, you know, because I just lost my job. I was like, well, will I get paid for this? And I was an understudy of uh, a play called Maps for Drowners at the Tiffany Theater on Sunset. And the Tiffany Theater is not even there. And you, had you had an acting class no, or a... No. You knew nothing? Nothing. But I was like... And, and plus it came with, you probably won't have to do anything because you're the understudy, right? And so I'd go to these, you know, rehearsals and stuff. And, and when you're an understudy, do you just watch the lead actor and just yeah. go... So you, you just try to learn the lines and you try to, you know, get ready. But, you know, this, it was a young, good looking blonde kid. And I was like, he'll, he'll never not show up. And, and the first day, dude didn't come. And he just I, didn't show up. Yeah. And <laughs> I had to go out there and I was, you know, and Lisa Kudrow was in the play. And I'm kind of up there just feeling it. And now when you found out you were going on, do you, do you recall the way that felt? I wasn't crazy nervous, to be honest. I thought actors were like models. I didn't think they were like artists, you know what I mean, at that point. But uh, that's kind of how I started. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. did you have ambition when you were living downtown to like get a gallery show or to like, did you have an ambitious sort of bent to you ever about your art or was it just more like living day to day? And I think the group that I was in I don't think it was we were trying to like find a scene. I think we were the scene, you know. So it's the the people that I was running with would throw their own things, and like people would show up, and it was the we had cool people involved, and so you know you're kind of riding that high, and you're kind of in it, and you don't know. It doesn't really matter. Like today's the day. Like tomorrow, who cares? We'll figure it out. So it was kind of like that. But the the reason I asked you if you know Tarsem and Fatima and them. Tarsim is, he's a big director. He did yeah, that movie. He did the R.E.M. video and, was how he started. Right? I remember when he did the R.E.M. That's how, when I knew him. And uh, that Losing My Religion video. Yeah. And Fatima was his girlfriend at the time. And they were putting me in music videos. So they're like, oh, you need the money? And I'm like, what do I do? Run down the alley and R.E.M. chases me? I'm like, great, I'll do it. And there was a girl, Ginny Shimizu was part of that crew. And Tarsim and Fatima and all these people. And, and, and they'd be like, hey, you want to do, do a Levi's commercial? I'm like, how much does it pay? You know, and, and I wasn't really repped, but they were like, they were, I was like a little muse for, the, for that group. Right. And yeah. So, and I ended up doing like all these music videos. So I kind of went into the acting thing like, oh, well, I did this video. It's got to be like that. You know, it wasn't a giant leap in my mind until, until I did one film. And then I was like, oh, that's what this is. And there was a, and it wasn't my, it might have been my second film, but something happened on that film, and I was like, oh, this is, this is real. Like, you know what I mean? So it, and that kind of changed my attitude. But in the beginning, I was like, oh, I did a music video. I could do this. And so I wasn't super nervous about the play thing. I had sort of a bravado, you know? Right, and I think you can have a bravado when it isn't your thing that you've... Exactly. Yeah. Like you hadn't put all your chips into being an actor, so you got to kind of back into it, right? And it's and it's a different thing too. When which, which was which I had trouble with. If you do an art show, you can put your thing on the wall and you can go stand in the corner, and they're they're judging that. And then the other way, they're judging you. They're judging your hair. They're judging your eyeballs. They're right. judging your foot, your mouth, like whatever. But I, I had a little bit of an insecurity with that in the very beginning once I started booking things. You know? What was your interior dialogue when this stuff was happening where you actually wanted to be good at it? Well, I, I tell you, um, like that, I'll, I'll go to that example that I'm talking about. The, uh, my father was about to die. He was like super sick. He's in a wheelchair. He's not doing well. How old were you then? Jeez, oh, uh, 20 maybe oh okay yeah. and there was a scene in this movie it was called floating and and 
there's a scene where my dad's in a wheelchair, a friend of mine dies, all this crap happens to me, and the dad is like, it's, it's all his friends have, are at that age where they're going off and they're going to college and they're starting their lives and I'm stuck with dad. And it's like a guilt thing and it's a, it, all this shit. And the dad, all this stuff happens to me and the dad kind of wheels himself over and he kind of gets up out of the chair and he gives me a hug and it's a big deal to those two people, right? And, and the director comes, I don't really know what I'm doing. And the director... It's like your second film ever. Yeah, okay. yeah. And the director comes over and he's like, how do you want to prepare to do this scene? And I'm like, well, what are my options? Like, what do people do? <laughs> you had no idea. No. And you had no tools in your toolbox. Zero. And, but I had life experience, which is a big, a, a big part of it. But, right. But I didn't know how to get from here to there. And, and uh, he's like, well, how do you want to do this? And you know, I said, you know what? Can you give me a cell phone and just give me five minutes? And he's like, sure. So I go in this little room and I call my dad. You know, my dad was, was having a hard time understanding him and it was a thing. And then I hung up the phone, he brought me out and we did the scene and I cried so much that so much snot came out of my nose the first time that we had to do it again. And I begged him to use the snot take, but they didn't. And then we did the scene and then we broke for lunch. We were shooting up in Maine and, and we would have lunch in this big tent with heaters and it was cold. And instead of going to lunch, I went to my little tiny trailer thingy and, uh, and then it, you know, when, we, when lunch was over, they, this, a grip came up and he, he was knocked in and he was like, look, I know you've never done really this before. He goes, but I want to tell you, he's like, nobody spoke during lunch. Everyone kind of sat there. And I was like, oh shit, that's what this is. I was like, I was like, it got real, real for me. That was like my breaking moment where I was like, you know, you can, you can do this with this and not just up there. You know what I mean? And I was like, oh, that's, that's, I had a whole respect for it after that. So what I hear you saying is that before that moment, you either didn't understand your own depths of, of what you had to bring to it or you weren't comfortable being I didn't in know. It. I didn't know the tools. I didn't know, I didn't know that that's, that's, that's the way to get from there to there for that or that or that. Yeah, I didn't know that's how you do that. Like, um, you know, I, I, mean, I, I mean, I'm sure I had a chip on my shoulder and I'm sure I was like felt uncomfortable and I'm sure all that shit, but once I figured out how to get rid of all that and just go do this to that for this, I was like, oh, that's, that, oh, you know. And then I started respecting performances that I saw in movies. I started, I started really like thinking about it and, and you know, leaving a, a portion of my mental to, for that instead of being wrapped up in all this other bullshit. What, what do you mean? When you say other bullshit, what do you, like, what, what comes on? Chip on my mind? shoulder. Like, you know, at, you know, after that movie, I got offered all these crying movies. And then it became, it, I was like, and that was a tape that was like went around. And from that, I got agencies after me and all that stuff. But then all of a sudden, everyone's, you know, like, scripts are all, I'm bawling my ass off. And, and then it got to a point where I'm like, I don't like you. Like, I don't want to do this for this guy. Like, because you figure, you, you feel, or at least, you know, I did. Like, when you do stuff like that, you, you kind of cut out a piece of you and you put it on the floor. And if you just, if you don't have anything else in your life to fill up that hole, you just end up like this, you know, this honeycomb of a thing. Yeah, or, or you having to, like, you're having to, like, almost, like, yeah. uh, uh, exploit yourself to... And then, you've, then you feel, you know, what am I doing this for? Am I just, like, whorish? Am I, like, doing this for them to like me? You know, I think I was really raw as a person at that point. So I think that kind of helped with that. But then being raw as a person, you put up walls and... It, it, it's, it, it's an interesting journey. I mean, everyone's path is their own individual path, but that's kind of how my path went. When you realized what was possible or how to get from here to there or that you were surrounded by people that had been studying this craft for ages, did you ever go through a period of, oh my God, like I have so much to learn? Or, or, all the time, I still do. You all, do? All the time. Do you yeah. ever feel like at the height of... Whatever, whoever's muse you were, or when you were modeling, like, 
have I lost my way? Well, the, I mean, the modeling thing, like that was interesting. Cause I, the, uh, I did a product campaign. Yeah, I and know. And I was, you know, I'm like not tall. I drink beer, you know. It, 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 that, that was funny. Cause, Who uh, was the photographer on the product uh, campaign? Glenn Lutchford. But that happened. My, my manager at the time goes, uh, goes, hey, you're up for a Prada campaign. And I was like, what the fuck is Prada? And he's like, oh, it's this. And, and it's between you and Nick Cage. And I'm like, what do I do? And they're like, well, they'll give you free clothes forever and give you this much money and take you to Paris. And I'm like, well, I've never been to Paris before. And, you know, at that time, like, there was the one suit that, you, you know, your five friends all shared the suit. And, and from that, that campaign came out. I had done Six Ways to Sunday. I didn't, I'd done, like, you know, a handful of indie films. Right. And then I was model turned actor. And I was like, no, no, no. I was like, I, like, Willem Dafoe did it. Uh, John, uh, Joaquin did it. John Malkovich did it, a Japanese actor did it, and then I did it. But did you did you struggle with that? Like when you were actually no, I was like fucking give me the money and like yeah, the suits. It was funny the the first night of that. Uh, I'm talking to Glenn and we're like talking like this, and you know all the Prada people are there, and I had like a like a whiskey drink or something, and I was talking to spill it on my pants. And I took the sweater off, which was a Prada sweater that they let me borrow. I took it off and I wiped up the thing. I threw it away and I kept talking. And he was like, "Dude, look behind you right now." And like all these Prada people were like. <laughs> you know, I was like, what? Um, was there a time where it's like, oh, I can take advantage of this, or did you just hate it? I didn't hate it. It was like just, it was like, it was kind of fun being in those photographs and going to Paris. We went to like a clown sort of museum there, a school for clowns. Like it was, it was fun. I had a good time doing it. Um, but it ended right there. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't do anything really. After I mean, were there, I, I'm just so curious at, at the end of one of these cycles of, say, that, that Prada part in your life or when you go do a Radiohead video or whatever, are you sort of laying in bed feeling a little like, what is this life that's... No. You fell into some pretty incredible situations. I didn't really question it. I was like, just, what's next? What's next? What's next? What's next? And then I would do my things on the side that I'd focus on. And then I'd, but I was open. I was, you know, I think a lot of it is being, is, if there's a door opens, were they going to go through it or not? And I didn't have any trouble going through doors, you know, like, I was like, sure, yeah, sure, you know, I mean, not to everything, but at that point, I was, I was curious, I was curious, what's, what's that about, what's that about? So it, it wasn't really a hang-up of mine. Do you remember a time when it changed to, okay, I want that, I want to get better at that, I want to get those roles, like, when it became, like, not just what's going to happen next, but I want to engineer what happens next? Now I'm having that. Now that, now that I've gotten older, I, I kind of think less like, what's, what's today got? You know, I'm like thinking more in the future. You know? Right. Could you ever imagine that Walking Dead would go 10 years? No. That's crazy. I remember realizing it was a big deal, like around season two. And, and you know, I was with my kid, with Mingus, and you know, he's skateboarding. He, we're, in, you know, we're skateboarding, and there's a couple of kids, you know, they look, these thuggy-looking kids, and I'm on their sweatshirt. And he walks up and he goes, why is my dad on your sweatshirt? And How old was your son at this He point? was like this old. Like seven yeah, years old. Yeah, he's tiny. And, and he's like, why is my dad on your sweatshirt? And they're like, oh, shit, you're the thing on the stuff. And, and, uh, and I started seeing it and people started saying hi and it became a bigger deal. Um, but I, didn't, I never knew we would go this long. And, you know, it, it's still fun for me, this show. It's like, it's, I'm so invested in it that I can't imagine leaving on my own. You know, I, I want to I want to bookend it. I want to see it to its conclusion, and it's still interesting. I still like the character. I still like the process. I I like uh, I like living out in the woods. I like being filthy all the time. I'm a dude. I like I like being dirty, and I like I like scratching myself up. I don't fall into that category of like I want to play a doctor and a lawyer and an astronaut and a, you know, I, a drug addict and a lawyer. I, I I'm I I I like something. I stick with it. You know, um, I don't feel like I have something to prove where, I mean, I've done a bunch of movies. I've done a bunch of different sure. roles, of, you know, but I've found this and I like this. And, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not like, I never feel like I'm, I'm dog paddling, like sinking in water. I never really feel like that. I read something uh, that really struck me about the very beginning of this show when, when you first got on the show um, and you came on set without really knowing 
what to expect. Can you talk about that a little bit? Because I do think it shines a light on what actors, what they can use or or how they can accidentally find whole worlds. Like how one little thing opens up, opens up a character. Yeah, that was, it was, I came on Walking Dead on the third episode of the first season and that cast was already super tight-knit. They'd already done publicity tours and they were like, you know, they were like the core group and they were all best friends, like immediately. And I came on and um, my first day, like, I still didn't know what I was going to do with this character. I was still trying to figure it out and I knew that they had written this part for me and I was like, oh God, okay. So I wasn't crazy nervous. I just hadn't, I hadn't really smelt it yet. And, you know, I have these squirrels on a string and they're like, throw them at the guy. And I'm like, do you want like a this? Did I, you know, I, I, it, there was a lot of strange elements, you know. Right. My dialogue's all like, derp, 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 you know, and I'm angry. And, uh, and, and, you know, everyone's kind of looking at me like, you know, he's a new guy. Who's this new guy? This is our show. And, and Already, even though there was only a couple episodes, you were the outsider. Well, they've been together for a year, rehearsing and doing a press junket around the world. It was, it was being amped up as a thing. Right. And there was a lot of hype around it. You know, it was Frank Darabont. It was AMC, Gail Ann Hurd. It was like, you know, heavy hitters. And, you know... And, you know, so we're doing this scene and I got to come in and get in the main guy's face and it's a whole thing and everyone's protective of the main guy. They're all his buddy. And, and so I come in, I say some stupid lines. I'm like, that's, we got some squirrels. Let's stew them up. I mean, like you know, all these lines, I'm like, you know, like, and I'm like, all right, let's run with it. And at this point, you don't know if you could be on for three episodes or I assumed I'd be there a couple episodes, you know, maybe an episode or two. Yeah. Okay. And came in and I uh, say these lines and feeling a little bit, you know, nervous about it. And, and I turn around and the whole cast, there's 15 people looking at me like, what are you going to do? What, you know, like judging me, right? And I turned around and first thing I saw was all these faces looking at me and I immediately got a little chip on my shoulder and, and felt like, oh God, they hate me. And I, and I started talking out of the side of my eyes. I was like, you know, Talking, you know, and then, you know, I didn't really connect. Like, you hate me, I hate you too. You know, and that's how I found that character. I started doing that. And, you know, like, all these people, they fucking hate me. And, you know, that's how I'm going to play this. And then it got, if I'm going to get in your face, I'm going to, like, punch you in the face or I'm going to stab you or something. And the character slowly went from this sort of side-eyed, you know, thing to, like, slowly, like... and when he means something now, he talks to you in your face. You can believe what he's saying to you. He wears his heart on his sleeve. He's not a bullshitter. But in the beginning, he was a straight-up liar, thief. I mean, the whole thing about the two brothers on that show, they were there to rob that group. Right. Not to join the group. They were there. When they go to sleep, we're going to rob this place. And it slowly became sort of naturally a progression of of this guy standing on his own two feet. And, and he wouldn't have been that guy if this apocalypse didn't happen. He, he would have just been his little, little brother, you know, thief. He'd have, just, he'd have been his brother. It's so yeah. fascinating to me how you can take a little moment like that and unlock basically a whole narrative arc for this person. You know, the, there was a, a scene with Carol and Daryl, like, where he gets shot, he, he goes looks for his for her daughter Sophia, and he's out in the woods, and everyone's given up. She's dead, and he's like, "No, nah, I'm gonna keep looking for this little girl." And he goes on his own, and just gets the shit beat out of him. He's hallucinating. He's just he's he's bloody. He's he's cut up. He's he's out, hanging on by a thread, and he comes out of the woods, and one of the girls shoots him. Thinks he's a zombie, shoots him, and it nicks him, and he pa- he passes out and has this bandage on his head, and. There was a scene where Carol, who's the mother of the little girl he's looking for, um, t- tells him while he's laying in bed, he's all bandaged up, says, you know, you're every bit as good as the rest of these people. And that resonated back from when I first started the show. And she leans in to give me a kiss, and I flinched. Like, she was in my space. And, I, you know, like... That the, it, was that a plan to flinch, and you'd no, worked it out? I just, it was, I was just feeling it. And then it became a storyline that... I was an abused child, which which became a, a serious storyline throughout the show. Have Have you noticed like you can actually alter mm-hmm. things by what you do, and then you see how it see how it resonates through the writers? Yeah. 
That's a that's an interesting way that TV is very that, different that, than films. Yeah, you have the time and the space to do that, and when people are paying attention to it, it it it's a very organic. You know, you see gray happen on my face on television, and you 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 see how the personality changes to a stand up. You know, all of these things. It's seems to me like an art piece a lot more sometimes than a three-month shoot and an hour-and-a-half film. It, it, you become sort of the art piece, and it's, it's kind of more interesting to me. Well, I'll tell you, when you say that, I'm reminded of how many times I'm watching Ride and people are calling you Daryl. All day long. Yeah, yeah. all the time. And if you've done this for 10 years, mm-hmm. if you've found this rich life for this person, I, I would assume that some of that is going to get mixed up with your own personality. And, Without and a doubt. I want some of me to be... I think, I think in, in movies, I think in everything, you want part... I mean, you do it. You want you in the thing. Sure. Like it's It makes it real. And I think sometimes when people can... They can taste that flavor of you in there, they can relate to it as well. And it becomes a personal thing that they want to watch or, or follow or... or they feel like themselves are in, you know, like they themselves are in it. You know, it, I think it's important. So there's an actual connection happening with with you as as you. There was a great art show that I saw here in Santa Monica ages ago. That it it was it was a a visual artist that he did performances with his body, and there was it was there was occult things about it, and there was S and M things about it, and. And this girl, she's like, she, she goes, oh, you, you have to go see this show. And I'm like, all right. I go into this show, and it's one giant room, and in the middle of it is hospital curtains in a square. And you hear all these loudspeakers, you And I'm like, what? The? And as I get closer, I realize that the artist himself is in the curtains, and he's he's in a hospital bed hooked up to these tubes and he has a nurse looking after him. So he took the hospital room, he put it in the middle of the thing, and there's like video footage, there's monitors of all his life's work on the thing, and he's the art piece. And I was and it struck me forever. I was like I was like, that's like I mean, you know, you you're you're you know, why you like something, it's 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 because there's an honest quality to it that is undeniably the real deal. And I was like, that's one of the most powerful art shows I've ever seen. And, and I instantly wanted to know everything about this guy. And it, it, there, you know, mortality and the honesty of being able to do that out in the open is something that I wasn't doing before when I was hanging pieces of art on the wall. I was removing myself from everything. And with Walking Dead being on the air this long, I'm... I can slowly bridge that gap, and I'm I'm comfortable with it. You know, it's a, I think it, as you mature as a person, you mature with artwork or even relationships or friends or whatever. There's there's a transparency there that that makes it real. And you're like, what are we doing if we're not doing that? You know, it seems like you're trying to live your life in service of being an authentic artist. Rather than, rather than segmenting it, you know, because you could just be trying the, to figure out what it means. You know what I mean? Yeah, because you could be the guy that's like, well, I act on this, but but then I go and I make these paintings, and those are separate things. No, no, I want it to be one big blob. I yeah, think that's better. You know, it's I, you know, I, I don't even know if I'll ever get there, but it it just seems interesting, and you know. It's not even a conscious. I, I mean, we're talking about it now. I don't even know if that's I've ever even thought that thought before, but that's. That seems to be where it's all headed for all of us, anyway. You know, such an interesting experiment. For the last what ten years, you've lived a majority of the years, majority of the months of the year in Georgia. Yeah. What happened to you as a person when you made that move away from from LA and New York? Finding a job that you really like, that you really care about, and you like the people that you work with. It, it's made me a better person all around. It's, it's uh, made me a better father, a better friend, a better, you know. It, I mean, I think I'm a late bloomer in finding something that I really enjoy doing, and it just happens to be where I'm at right now. Um, but 
it just it helped me all around. Like it, I enjoy waking up. I enjoy going to work. I enjoy after. I still want to talk about it. Like it's 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 been a a real dream job. So yeah. I don't. I like being in the woods. I like the country. I didn't even know I liked the country until we started Walking Dead. I love it. Um, I like riding my bike through the woods. I like the sounds of the woods. I like, you know, then I go back to New York, it's like, wah, wah, you know, beep, 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 you know, all day long. But I like, I like being able to do both, you know. Do you regret at all not, not knowing what you wanted to do earlier? Or? No. I, mean, I still want to take piano lessons, you know, like, no. Yeah. No, I, wanted, I told, actually told Diane, I want that for Christmas, piano lessons. So, I, I mean, that's, you know, I, I like... I like dabbling in lots of things. It's, you know, I think it keeps it all interesting. You know. Well, I think you're living the true life of an artist, and you're on a motorcycle more than most of us get to be on, and and I, it just makes me hate you. <laughs> <laughs> no, and, and I love okay, talking I to you. Too. I love yeah. getting to know you, and and I do think you've you've found a place in life where, um, you know, you, you've you've turned the things you love into the things you get to do all the time and and it's a great way to live life and and it it's working so yeah yeah, yeah and it's I'm, admirable i'm i'm very lucky i think you have to be it's a combination of luck and this and I, I, I i i definitely hit a hit a groove well it's been fascinating talking to you yeah, thanks for a doing pleasure. yeah thanks for having me Hey folks, that's our show. I love talking to Norman. I love geeking out about motorcycles. But I also love that Norman wasn't the typical actor that wanted to act since age five and put all his eggs in one basket. Norman experienced life and he came to acting at a later age. And I think his upbringing and his story are fascinating and frankly quite mysterious. And I think he's going to do interesting, unexpected work far into his future. And I'm excited to see where that goes. If you haven't seen The Walking Dead, well, you're the only one. Congratulations. There should be some sort of prize. But also, make sure to check out Ride with Norman Reedus on AMC. It's a great experience, and you can sit back on your couch comfortably and tour the world on motorcycles with Norman. It's really entertaining, so check that out. You can also check out the entire archive of Off Camera from your couch by going to offcamera.com, and there you'll find over 180 episodes of my conversations with these iconic, strange, and wonderful artists. All available in glorious black and white to watch on any device you want as many times as you want. You can see the details there, but basically, for $4.99 a month, you can have access to the whole archive. So if you don't have DirecTV, that's another great way to see the show. Also, if you're listening to this podcast and you have not yet subscribed to Off Camera, take a minute and do so. That way, you'll never miss an episode And if when you subscribe, you also leave us a review and a rating, it's a great way to help other people find the show. You can also reach us on social media. We are Off Camera Show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I'm Sam Jones on Twitter and Sam Jones Pictures on Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear you shout about us to the world and spread the love of Off Camera. So take a minute, say hi to us on social media, and tell your friends. And also, if you want to send me a personal email... Although maybe you're thinking, maybe I better not, because maybe he'll read it on the air. Uh, But please do. Please send me a personal email. I love giving bad advice, or at least trying to give good advice. And I love hearing anything you guys have to say about the show. So send me an email. I'm sam at offcamera.com. I want to thank everybody that works on this show. Crawford Chippy, Nathan Shields, Michaela Galvin, Sasha Snow, Kara Johnson. These people devote their working lives to making off-camera what it is, and I couldn't do it without them. So when you see these people on the street, give them a kiss or a hug or some money or directions on how to get back to the office because they probably have work to do. But seriously, I'm lucky that we have the staff here at Off-Camera that can keep us going. And if you're enjoying what you're hearing, it's as much because of them as because of me. So I just want to say thank you to all of them. Now, most importantly... Make sure to join me next time when I sit down with comedian, actor, and writer Patton Oswalt. 
ultimately, 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 the only thing that's stopping you from doing what you want to do creatively is yourself. There's people that you'll meet that will inspire you and help you along, but for as many of those people that you meet, you'll also meet people going, no, it doesn't work that way. You have to do this, and that's the way it works. And their job in life is to infect you, and then you get that voice. So all the times that you keep doubting yourself, what you're doing is you let some dull, uncreative, uncourageous person in your past, you're letting them win when you let that voice win. I first encountered Patton in the mid-90s during one of his stand-up sets at the Largo, the legendary club that spawned and nurtured the Los Angeles alt-comedy scene. He was on stage doing a bit about Yoshinoya Beef Bowl, and I don't think to this day I've ever laughed harder. Since then, he has gone on to become a comic legend and a powerful actor that can move fluidly between drama and comedy. He is also a formidable writer who has written two memoirs that expose the mindset of a creative soul in beautiful and original ways. And now, as a father who experienced the horrifying loss of his wife in 2016, Patton has found new depth in exploring his grief that truly defines what it means to be an artist. See you next time, Off Camera.